that's not useful, right? <laughs> no, 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 it's bad, bad, bad bones. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no, 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 no. That song makes me uncomfortable. <sighs> yeah. This podcast makes me uncomfortable. This podcast makes me uncomfortable too. It turns out making a podcast is really hard. Did you know that? Really? Yeah. Cite your sources. <laughs> Here. <laughs> there they are. How am I breathing so hard? I just stretched. <laughs> Oh, it's been a morning, for sure. Who did I sound like? Oh, well, I don't know who I sounded like. Who? When I said, oh, God. Oh, God. Reminds me of the lady from, um, what's her name? She's on Lily Blonde, too. She's like, makes me want a hot dog real bad. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen I'm that. I'm taking a dog, dumbass. I haven't seen that so long. I know exactly who. Is it the lady who's got all the plastic surgery? Yeah. Oh, she's in other stuff, too. Okay. Isn't she in Two Broke Girls? I don't never seen that. You haven't? This isn't going in, right? It might. I don't know. We'll see. Oh, no. We'll see if it gets any better. It Hello, will. everybody. Okay. Hello. Welcome to our podcast. This is Between the Crimes, and we still are this far in and don't know how to start our podcast because it's hard and awkward and it makes me upset in my stomach. And every time we try to do it in like a good way, it just makes us cringe so hard that we... Want to throw it. up. It just, you know, not happening, but... These podcasts, for anybody who doesn't know, they start about 20 minutes before you hear them. Maybe more than 20 yeah. minutes. And it's a lot of, no, can we try again? It's can a lot of, again? hi, welcome to... <laughs> that was stupid. Yeah, it pretty much usually is <laughs> stupid, but we're just full sunned. So here we are. Welcome to our podcast. I'm sorry you just had to listen to that for five minutes, but it's just gonna be that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well... We almost got to 1,000 downloads, and I keep checking it because I'm annoying, and I really want to see it hit 1,000. So I we're can... real close. We're really close. I think last night when we checked, we just hit 900. It's also really windy outside, and it's making me feel scared. There's a lot of sus noises. There's might... a lot of sus noises. There are... Some knocking, some wooing. There's wooing. a lot of wooing <laughs> out there. It's loud. Anyways, it it kind of sets the scene, but... It's a spooky scene. It makes me uncomfortable for, like, illogical reasons, because I'm on the second floor, and it makes me feel like so I'm gonna, like, the house is gonna blow down. You're just gonna tip over? <laughs> it feels like I could. Yeah. I, I don't like, like storms. A little, bit... a little dramatic, maybe. Yeah, yeah. but what's that's new? fine. What's new? I feel like um, I really don't like storms, and... It makes me feel weird when people do like that. I get excited. Do you? Yes. Like thunderstorms? Oh, I love thunder. Oh, it gives me anxiety. I panic about... This is so stupid. I panic about the, like, the power going out because I don't want to be in the dark. Yeah. But I like like extreme snowstorms. Like I don't like snow, but like if it's bad enough that it's like, oh my god, guys, look at the snow. Then yeah. I, I get like a little excited like a child. So weird. My mom loves thunderstorms. I like, would want to go sit on the porch in them. Oh, yeah. It's like so... I'm like... like I am not much of a naturey person, but when it's like raining, but like the warm, nice rain yeah. with a good thunder, just let me sit out there and just like feel it. I feel at one with the world. <laughs> at one with the world. Like it just feels good. It makes me feel spooky and have anxiety, but I feel like everything in my life makes me feel spooky and have anxiety. Yeah. Pretty much. Sure. Somebody looks at me the wrong way and I'm like, oh, are they upset with me? <laughs> yeah. Welcome to my drama. <laughs> so here we are. So... All of that being said, here's our podcast. It's 
it's cool, kinda. Enter at your own risk. <laughs> yeah, seriously. It's never gonna get better at the beginning. I say that every single episode, and it holds true every single episode. Yeah. We do this, where all we can do to start is to just talk about bullshit so that we feel Mumble. less upset. Yeah. So... I wanted to thank everybody who's been listening to us this far. I know it's only been 13 episodes, or this is the 13th, I should say, so maybe 12. But we've had, like, some of the most amazing support on Facebook and Twitter and, like, from my family. You guys are so... Twitter so nice. makes what my heart happy. Like, seriously. I'm not a Twitter person, but maybe now I will be because they're so nice. They, like, are always tagging me and stuff and sharing my posts and, like, commenting on my posts. And it's, like, the most love and support. Like, it makes me yeah. want to cry sometimes. Like, we had somebody, like, direct tweet at us or whatever and say, like, that our podcast is awesome and that oh. they're going to share it with all their friends. And I was like, What? Are you, did you really did listen to that? this one? Because this might one. have us confused. <laughs> you might have us confused with any anyone else, <laughs> any other podcast. But yeah, I actually. So I have to shout out to somebody that tweeted recently that that asked the very important question of why had did you just spill water all over yourself? Yes, I did. <laughs> That's really good. It's everywhere. It's every. We're fine. This is fine. <laughs> Oh my god, I look over and all I see is water <laughs> dripping all over you. Sorry. Go on, you were saying <laughs> okay. something. Okay, I'm sorry. We had um a Twitter, I think they're a follower, I'm not sure, but they have a post on Twitter that I saw and it says, why hasn't anybody talked about the butt slasher? The butt slasher. Yeah, and uh, hold on, let me find it. And I, I read replied to their tweet and I was like excuse me the what and they go yeah the butt slasher and they sent me an article and they were basically saying why hasn't anyone talked about this in a podcast yet and I replied and was like done we're talking about this in our podcast and they go this is the fastest my wish has ever come true oh well now next episode has to be the butt slasher no I'm just gonna talk about it briefly just because there's not a lot to it so I'm just gonna read you this article one man may be responsible for slashing at least five women on the butt, according to Fairfax <laughs> County funny. Police. Okay, not it's not funny, but it a little bit is. I'm is sorry. It, why are you doing this? In most, in the most recent attack, an 18-year-old woman was shopping at Forever 21 inside a Fair Oaks Mall at 5.30 Monday when she was distracted by clothing falling over. She told the police that she suddenly felt a sharp pain in her butt and she thought that she might have been struck by a clothes hanger before she realized she had been cut through her denim shorts with the box with a box cutter oh or a razor. God. The attacks began in February. In each attack... The and they don't victims, have that on camera? To I see don't who did it? know that they... I think they do, but it's just like a like a video recording for surveillance. It's just going to be like like a shadow of a person. You're not... Yeah. I feel like you can't really tell exactly... It depends on the quality of the yeah, camera. Yeah, and even if you do have it, you're not going to like know their name. Just, right. You know? So, they started in February. In each attack, the victims have been women in their late teens or early 20s at retail stores. In each case, the stabbing follows some sort of distraction. Before the victim realizes what has happened, the attacker oh, the attacker has calmly walked away without creating a scene. In one incident, the victim was inside the mall but in an open area, not inside a store, when the slasher bumped into her to distract her. I'm sorry. Yeah, this is an article the from... butt slasher. It's from NBC Washington, but it looks like this happened in Virginia, and it looks like this happened years ago, but either way, I'm like, excuse the fuck out of me. I'm sorry, but what is the 
purpose. I think it's just somebody being a fucking dumbass. Like, that's all I can think is just somebody. Because they're not even serious. Like a sexual thing? A lot of people said it was literally only a cut like this big, like about an inch. And that it wasn't like, they no one needed stitches or anything. But it was just enough to be like fucking gross and Ow. and painful for really? no reason. And then the dude would just like run out of the store. And I'm like, so somebody tweeted, literally, when are we going to get the multi-part true crime doc about the butt slasher that we deserve? <laughs> oh my God, can we make one? Uh, seriously, we so should. Yes. So this was at Claire is hot AF, H-A-W-T-A-F. That That's on solid. Twitter. That is good. So I told them we would discuss this in episode 13. And they said, this is the fastest my wish has ever come true. And I sent them a gift where I was just like, finger guns at them. <laughs> So yeah, tell me how you feel about that. I think we should make a multi-part documentary and we should... We should go and investigate. Yeah. We need to talk to oh witnesses. Oh my god, can we do um, recreations? Oh, Where like, we'll go bad into, ones. Like, the mall and I'll knock over a clothes rack, you lean over and I just get ya. Ooh. And we get out. Like bad, like, um, dramatizations like on yes. Snapped. Yes. Yeah, with bad actors, but they don't ever talk. Mm-hmm. It's just like the visual. And then you, then you slow it down right after I cut you and I'm running away dramatically. Ooh, I love yes. that. Like camera pans to the side. Yeah. You just kind of like go off off camera a little bit and to the, the right. And the louder. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And then it trickles off and it's just like that spooky little like like piano or something in the yes. background. Fade to black. Couple flashbacks here and there. <laughs> Couple flashbacks. Oh, like you play the slash. images <laughs> of some B-roll of like the hospital, just like the front of it. <laughs> yes. Um, I think Too we far. could do a really good job. I think we could do a really awful Production job at this. Quality would be a plus plus. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> that's exactly what I was gonna say. Yeah. So, tell me that's not fucking wacky as hell. Yeah, I think that's like. I would be so annoyed. I like it because nobody like died or anything. Yeah, no, I mean sometimes it's not like, like it with as upsetting. That's why I like true crime. True. But it's like <laughs> did you say I like when people die? Well, no, that's why I like the true crime <laughs> because it makes the story. But like this, that's why I feel comfortable like laughing so much because nobody right. like, died. Nobody it's not did. like so serious. I mean, it's Just serious, but it's not like give them a little <laughs> slice, slice. Ew. Yeah, I can't believe that this is the world we live in. <laughs> that these are the worries that we have to have at Forever Twenty One. Start wearing some. Steal pants when I go shopping. Seriously. Like, what kind of... Okay. Enough about that. I just had to share that because that's just the fucking craziest shit I've ever heard. Um, For anybody who doesn't know, we are on Patreon and we are going to start releasing some exclusive content for our Patreon subscribers. You will be able to chat with us via private message. You'll be able to share your thoughts with us. You can ask us to do cases, which would be fucking dope because... Figuring out what case I want to do is really fucking hard for me. It'd be easier if you just told me what to do. Yeah, tell me what you, what do you want? It reminds me of the, uh, the notebook scene at the end. Oh, where yeah. Where he's like, what do you want? Yeah. And he just like says it over and over and you're like, this scene is making me feel stressed. Like, don't yell Maybe at her. Maybe she doesn't want to answer it right now. Literally. She's not in the headspace. Yeah, so basically everybody tell us what you want and we'll do it because that's makes our lives easier and it also teaches us cases that we don't already know because pretty much all I do is think of cases that I already kind of know yeah but then I'm not like learning anything I'm like doing the same shit I feel like it's more of like a gathering information just to teach not yeah we're not teaching anything yeah that's us spread call me professor Celia here to here to learn y'all today (laughs) yeah I don't think we teach anybody but that is 
fair. I understand what you mean in the sense of like. I want to also do it for my own like. Yeah, to like scratch I'm, my own itch. To scratch, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like we'll scratch your back, you scratch ours. You know what I mean? So join us on Patreon. It's super dope. I'm gonna start. I we've been doing Podbean live, and for once we're finally not, which I'm really proud of us. But I want to start doing our live thing. See, spooky noises. Oh well, that's so spooky. I okay. Like it. Uh. Why okay. Is your see. Window vibrating. See, that's really for real spooky. I don't know what it is, and I can't fix it. Should we tighten it? <laughs> tighten the window. But like, yeah, Jenna. <laughs> Should we tighten it? <laughs> okay, sorry for the spooky noises. I think y'all are just going to hear it the whole time because we can't tie in the window, Jenna. <laughs> <laughs> I thought maybe it wasn't closed all the way. Uh, okay, okay, okay. We can get through this. I, okay. I really think that we can. So join us on Patreon. We're going to start doing our live streams only on Patreon instead of on Podbean, which is a little sad, but it's really, really hard to do them everywhere. It's so, a lot. We'll do them like... It killed your laptop last it time. It literally like slaughtered the battery of my laptop in like 40 minutes. So we're just going to do them interspersed, kind of like spontaneously throw in some like live streams here and there for our Patreon subscribers. So join us there. It's www.patreon.com slash between the crimes. You can also join us on Twitter. It's at BT crimes. And we're on Instagram as well, which is just our normal name between the crimes. So hell yeah. Cool. Okay. Okay, 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 okay. So, oh, this case is, like, really fucked up. Like, it's not, I mean, they're all fucked up, I guess, in their own ways, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But this one, it involves a child, which is really upsetting. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, straight out of a horror story in the sense of, like, I physically can, I'm so sorry. Oh, well. I cannot imagine this happening, like, and how afraid I would be. So I'm just going to start it off by saying there is only one article that I can find that actually tells this story. Legitimately one article. I looked everywhere. And this is a case that happened in Germany. And so the other articles that exist, they're all in German and stuff like that. This is like an article from The Guardian by a guy named Zan Rice where he legit like find like found all the information and the whole story, and it's all in one incredibly written article. So for this case, for the sake of not, like, trying to paraphrase or ruin something that is, like, written so well, I'm pretty much just going to read this article, um, because I could go through and, like, attempt to paraphrase, and but I really would just be making shit up, because I have nothing to cross-reference. Nothing to add. Yeah. Like, normally when I write my notes, I use two or three articles, and I take you know, important bits out of each one because everybody has different details and things that... Everyone has, like, a certain thing that stands out to them that they focus on a little bit more. Yeah, like, maybe it's the backstory of the victim. Maybe it's the backstory of the criminal. Maybe it's, you know... But with this, there's literally one. So there's nothing really to choose from. So I felt like it would be most appropriate to just kind of read it, and it's a really well-written article. So I just want everybody to know that this is written by Zan Rice, and it came from The Guardian. And this is the story of Ursula... I want to say it's Herman? How would you pronounce that? Herman? Herman. Herman. Okay. So in the Alpine foothills in the far south of Germany is a vast lake called the Ammersee. Its shores are dotted with century-old villages where wealthy families from Munich buy large second homes and tourists drink beer at the waterfront restaurants. At the north end of the lake is a pair of such villages. I want to say it's Ecking, Am, Ammersee, and Schondorf, which are less than two miles apart. 
Separating them is a block of spruce forests that attract hunters, joggers, mountain bikers, and in the late summer, 38 years ago, kidnappers preparing to commit what would be one of the country's most notorious post-war crimes. So after class on September 15, 1981, the first day of the new school year, 10-year-old Ursula Herman returns to her house in Ecking. Ursula, the youngest of four siblings, practiced piano with her oldest brother, Michael, and then headed off to her late afternoon gymnastics lesson in Schondorf, cycling on her bike through the forest along the lakeside path. Sounds like this is something she did all the time, so it's not like such a weird, you know, she mm-hmm. she's taken this path like multiple times before. It's a routine yeah. thing. And it's a safe neighborhood, and that's like what we always hear in these cases, is it's a safe neighborhood, and we yeah. never thought anything would happen. Safe, yeah. So... Once the gym class was over, she went to her cousin's house in Schondorf, where she ate dinner with them. About 7.20 p.m., Ursula's mother phoned her aunt to say, okay, like, it's time for Ursula to come home now. So, the shadows were lengthening. It was still light out, though, and the cycle ride would only be 10 minutes. So, from her cousin's house to her house, 10 minutes on bike. There. Yep. Quick, done. So, half an hour later, Ursula's still not home. Her mom calls the aunt, who said, um, Ursula left 25 minutes ago. So both of them immediately knew something was wrong. Ursula's father rushed into the forest from Ecking, and her uncle did the same thing from Schondorf. They met in the middle along the path, but they didn't find her. So within an hour, neighbors and police and firemen had joined the search. Torches beamed, raking the water and struggling to penetrate the thick undergrowth. With midnight approaching and rain falling, Sniffer Dogs led its handlers away from the lake and into the brush of the forest. There, 20 meters from the path, was Ursula's little red bike, but she was nowhere to be seen. So at first light, the search intensified. Dozens of officers wearing raincoats and rubber boots spread out through the dense forest and on the border of which stands Landheim Schondorf, an expensive private school founded in 1905 and favored by Bavaria's political and business elite. So this is like an uppity kind of town. An uppity school, things like that. So as a helicopter hovered overhead, a police boat and divers scanned the shallows of the lake. Local radio carried the shocking news of the missing girl in the idyllic part of the country. She was about four feet, seven inches tall, with short blonde hair, wearing dark green cords, a gray woolen cardigan, and red-brown sandals, the daughter of a teacher and a housewife. On the Thursday morning, when Ursula had been missing for more than 36 hours, the phone rang the Herman house. When Ursula's parents picked up, there was silence, and then a short, familiar jingle, which they recognized from the traffic bulletin on the Bayern 3 radio station. More silence ensued, and the jingle played again before the caller hung up. Three more similar calls, baffling and sinister, followed over a period of hours. A team from the local police... It's so fucking creepy. And I hate when that... Like, something traumatic is happening, and when, like prank calls or that's just it's just disgusting frustrating for me like it's just so fucking gross so they started to record the phone calls as they came in so at noon the next day the postman delivered an envelope addressed to ursula's father marked urgent inside was a ransom note composed using letters and words cut out from a tabloid newspaper we kidnapped your daughter the note began in broken german if you ever want to see your daughter alive then play then pay two million dutch marks which is uh just over $530,000 U.S. Um, and over four hundred and fifty. Um, what the fuck are they called in the U.K.? Pounds. Pounds. I said euros. <laughs> euros. Don't they have euros too? Yeah. That's a thing. 
That is a thing. Oh my god, why are we so stupid? We're the stupidest people I've ever heard in my life. Anyways, okay. Over 450,000 pounds, um, which is over 530,000 US dollars. The kidnappers expecting the letter to have arrived a day earlier, before the calls began, explained that they would phone the Hermans using the jingle as their call sign. Just say if you will pay or not pay. If you call the police, we do not pay, we will kill your daughter. So they. What if you just didn't have the money? They don't have the money. That's the thing. Yeah, like, they don't care. Like, they expect you to beg your friends and family and the media. And they expect you to ask the government or the police to help. But in in certain situations, a lot of countries, the U.S. being one of them, oftentimes don't want to entertain that type yeah. of thing because you're basically just encouraging them. Allowing it to. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, is these fucking kidnappers, if this is true, are fucking idiots because the letter didn't arrive on time. The letter was supposed to get there before all of the phone calls and it didn't. It got there after. So the phone calls that came in were where the Hermans were supposed to say yes or no, they're going to pay or not pay. But they didn't know that that's what they were supposed to do because the fucking letter didn't come on time. Yeah. So they're idiots, but whatever. So when the phone rang that afternoon, which they did end up calling again, Ursula's mother agreed to pay the ransom. That same evening, the kidnappers posted a second letter, which arrived on the 21st of September, and curious, with curiously specific instructions regarding the ransom. Unlike the other residents of Ecking and the parents of the pupils at the boarding school in Schondorf, the Hermans were not wealthy. They had only been able to build this home near the lake because Ursula's great-grandfather had purchased some grazing land there decades earlier. So I think the kidnappers maybe thought they were wealthy, but they're they're not wealthy, which is fucking gross too. Like, to even, like, don't assume, don't fucking kidnap people in the first place, but... That's all it boils down to, really. Where do you think that people, even people who are wealthy, they don't have money just sitting around sometimes. Their money is tied up in in properties. Yeah, so I'm like, it's not like it's liquid assets. So the Hermans waited desperately for more instructions, but there were no more letters and there were no more phone calls. So the police at the time, they also didn't have any strong leads. And mind you, like, she's still missing. So two weeks passed. The police decided to search the forest again. More than 100 officers were assembled with 10 sniffer dogs. The wood was divided into four parts, each quartered into small grids. The team began searching every grid one by one using metal rods to probe the ground. Ursula had been missing for 19 days at this point. At 9.30 a.m., there was a loud shout. In a tiny glade about 800 meters away from the lake path, one of the officers had struck something solid when probing the soil with their, like, metal thingy. Mm -hmm. Another policeman rushed over and, after wiping away the leaves and scraping through the layers of clay, discovered a brown blanket covering a wooden board. He removed it only to find a second board, which appeared to be the lid of a box. It was 72 centimeters by 60 centimeters, the size of a small coffee table, painted green and locked from the top with seven sliding bolts. Using a spade, he forced the lid open and peered in. There was Ursula. Her body was cold and lifeless. The officers wept when lifting her out. Two detectives were sent to break the news to Ursula's parents at their home a short walk away. While her mother was too distraught to ask any questions, her father asked repeatedly, had his daughter been hurt before her death? The truthful answer was no. An autopsy concluded that Ursula died within 30 minutes to five hours of being buried. I mean, I was thinking that's like a wide time frame, but I feel like it would be really hard to pinpoint. Exactly. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel. So, since there was no sign of a struggle or even movement inside the box, the doctors assumed that she had been drugged beforehand, possibly with nitrous oxide. 
It appeared that the kidnappers had planned to keep Ursula alive. The box, 1.4 meters deep, was fitted with a shelf and a seat that doubled as a toilet. It was stocked with three bottles of water, 12 cans of Fanta, six large chocolate bars, four packets of biscuits, and two packs of chewing gum. It also contained a bizarre library of 21 books from Donald Duck comics to westerns, romance novels, and thrillers with titles such as The Horror Lurks Everywhere. There was a light and a portable radio turned to Baron 3, the same station that broadcasted the traffic jingle. To enable Ursula to breathe, the box had a ventilation system made from plastic plumbing pipes, which extended to the ground level. But whoever designed it had failed to realize that without a machine to circulate the air, the oxygen would still quickly run out. It doesn't just circulate on its own. The air is not yeah. just going to come in. So there was a good possibility that after she was drugged and put in the box that she died of like suffocation. So, the police believe they're hunting more than one kidnapper because of the size and the weight of the box. It was about 132 pounds, or 60 kilograms. It would probably have needed at least two people to carry it into the woods. And to bury it, in my opinion. Probably even to create it. Yeah. So, in Ecking and the nearby villages, parents who previously let their children roam free were now terrified to let them out of their sight. The shock was amplified by the frenzied press coverage. On the day of the funeral, after much harassment from journalists, Ursula's brother Michael, a shy 18-year-old at the time, lost his temper with a photographer who held a camera right in front of his face and knocked the camera to the ground. Which I'm sorry, but I don't fucking blame him. Yeah. Like, I'm an aspiring journalist, but I feel like you have to fucking draw the line somewhere. Like, yeah. yeah. These people are breathing. Mm-hmm. So, desperate to find the culprits, the police offered a 30,000 Dutch marks, which is about $18,200 or so U.S. dollars, um, reward for information as the tips poured in. One name that came up was Werner Masaryk. He was 31, he lived with his wife and their two children just a few hundred meters from the Hermans. A trained car mechanic who left school at age 15 and now ran his own TV repair business, Masaryk was good with his hands. He was imposing, tall with a beer drinker stomach, and quick-tempered, and not well-liked in Ecking. He was also heavily in debt, owing a bank more than 140,000 Dutch marks, so he had a motive. Questioned by police a week after Ursula's body was found, Masaryk could not initially recall his movements on the night that she went missing. It took him 24 hours to provide an alibi that he had been playing a board game of Risk with his wife and two you friends. remember that? Yes, yeah, seriously. But a search of his home and the workshop revealed nothing that linked him to the crime. Later that month, the forensic teams examined the box and found a fingerprint on a piece of duct tape, raising hopes of a breakthrough. Thousands of locals, including Masaryk, were fingerprinted, but no match was discovered. So at the end of January 1982, they arrested Masaryk, along with two of his friends, and interrogated them for several days before releasing them. And this is something important to note we've talked about in other cases, where in a lot of European countries, it doesn't have the same process that we do here in America, is my understanding. It sounds like you can arrest people much easier, you just can't hold them forever. But they're allowed to arrest you as an excuse to bring you in for like mandatory questioning, where in the United States, it's more of a, we ask people to come in and cooperate, and if you don't, then you have to be let go. So it kind of works a bit differently. So even though they didn't have any real DNA evidence or scientific evidence, they were allowed to arrest him anyways and bring him in for questioning. So one of his acquaintances was questioned as well. His name was Klaus Pfaffinger and was an unemployed mechanic who had a drinking problem as well. His landlord, who was owed a rent, had told police that in the weeks before the crime, he had seen his he had seen his tenant driving his moped with a spade, like a shovel, strapped mm-hmm. to the side. 
Fafinger initially protested his innocence, but on the second day of questioning, when the interrogators took a break, when he was alone with the police secretary, he said a startling thing. What if I know something? When the interrogators returned, Fafinger had told them that Masaryk had asked him to dig a hole in the forest in early September of 1981, promising Ooh. payment of 1,000 Dutch marks and a color television. Fafinger had said that he had dug the hole and had later seen a box embedded inside. Convinced that they had cracked the case, the detectives drove Fafinger to the forest that separated Ecking and Schondorf. They asked him to lead to the burial site. To their dismay, he was not able to locate it or even come close. On returning to the police station, he announced, I'm revoking this confession. It's not true what I said. What in the world? Yeah. During at least 10 subsequent interrogations the following months, he refused to repeat his confession. So by the summer of 1982, after his name was speared, Masaryk was prepared to move away from Ecking with his family. The lead detective who had pursued him was replaced, and the net was cast even more widely. Some 100,000 color posters requesting help with the investigation were distributed nationwide. A television program, which I cannot even begin to try to pronounce, um, they called it case number XY. It was like some unsolved case. And the description that is in the article says which would serve as the model for BBC's Crime Watch and America's Most Wanted. So it's like the, oh, the German gotcha. version of those. Um, featured a long segment on the Ursula Herman case. The new police team found more evidence of the kidnapper's methods, including a wire that had strung through the trees along the lakeside path to serve as an alert system during the abduction. So it's like they had these wires going through the trees that you could pull on and it would like tug at the other end so that somebody standing on the road could alert somebody in the forest. Oh my god. Yeah. This is thought through. Yeah, this is like very premeditated. Sounds like something that would have been planned for like maybe even over like a year, mm -hmm. like trying to figure out how you're going to do this. So investigations of other suspects still came to nothing. By the end of 1980s, the investigation had wound down. Ursula's parents and siblings, meanwhile, were doing their best to move on with their lives. Though they grieved deeply for Ursula, who they remember as an intelligent, energetic girl who loved to sing and paint, they did this in private, never speaking to the press. Soon after their youngest child's death, the parents had made a conclusion Oh, sorry. The parents had made a conscious decision not to let the hunt for the kidnappers consume the family or the tragedy define their lives. Without any perpetrators to blame, they tried to think of this as a terrible accident. So in the mid-2000s, the Bavarian... Oh, so hard. Sorry, I'm just like thinking... No, like, seriously. I would want to blame somebody. Absolutely. I know myself as a person, and like props to them for being big enough people to be able to do this. But if something happened to Jason or my mom or something, I literally would never fucking stop until I had answers. I could just never let it go. I just know that about myself, you know? It would haunt, like, it would consume every fucking waking thought of my life. Literally. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. So, in the mid-2000s, mind you, I want to say it was 1981 that she went missing. So, mid-2000s, the Bavarian state official for crime, criminal investigation started looking in earnest at its backlog of cold cases. The most famous was the Ursula Herman kidnapping, which had by then appeared three times in case number XY Unsolved, which is that show we talked mm -hmm. about, and was still a stain on the reputation of local police and judiciary. Prosecutors hoped that the development of DNA profiling over the previous two decades might help crack the case. The massive evidence from the original investigation, including the ransom notes and the box, was painstakingly re-examined. Numerous hairs were found, from which the forensic experts were able to build DNA profiles of several different people. Now they just needed a match. In 2007, they got one. Ooh. A genetic sample recovered from a screw on the box 
matched that found on a glass in the Munich penthouse of a wealthy woman who was brutally murdered in May of 2006. The police's excitement about a breakthrough was short-lived. On trial for the Munich killings was the victim's nephew, who was only a few years old when Ursula was kidnapped. So, after extensive forensic investigation, the judge ruled that no real link could be established between the two criminal cases, and the nephew for that other case was convicted in his case. How the match with the sample from the Herman case occurred remains a mystery, though very rare mistakes do occur in genetic profiling. So they basically got a match to somebody who like was not old enough to even commit a crime like that. Yeah, which is really fucked up because that kind of gives you that idea of like DNA can't be trusted sometimes, which is yeah. true, but it feels like we think DNA is the end-all be-all. That's it. Mm-hmm. You're the one that picked you. Exactly. So for the prosecutors looking at the Herman case, time was running out. Her death had not been deemed a murder, but rather a kidnapping with deadly consequences, a crime that carried a 30-year statute of limitations. I think... Pancake. I think that that's probably because it seemed so obvious that they didn't intend for her to die. You know what I mean? Yeah. So in five years, the people responsible for this kidnapping would be in the clear because of the statute of limitations. The state prosecutor went back to the 1980s case file to look at the main suspects. Klaus Fawfinger, sorry, it's spelled like P-F-A-F-F, so it's like Fawfinger. The unemployed man who briefly claimed to have dug the hole was already dead at this point. But Werner Masaryk was still alive and living with his wife in the north of Germany where he ran a boat accessory business with a friend on Tuesday evenings, a snack bar that bore the advertising slogan, Norbert's Pig and Werner's Beer, the finest at Harbor Pier. So in 2007, Masaryk was placed under surveillance and an undercover officer deployed to befriend him. Police planted recording devices in his car and his house and tapped his phone. In October of that year, his home was searched and he was asked to provide a saliva sample. It did not match any of the genetic profiles found on the box. Mm. The prosecutors had one hope left. Among the items taken from Masaryk's house during the search was an old reel-to-reel tape recorder. In the calls to Ursula's parents in the days after her disappearance, the kidnappers had played a jingle. Was it possible that this device was used to record that jingle from the radio all those years ago? So a sound expert who had access to the old original recordings in 1981 calls spent months conducting tests on the tape recorder, concluding that it was indeed used in the kidnapping. Which to me doesn't make a ton of sense. How do they do that? I don't. Yeah, that's my question here. That's some science. So May 28th, 2008, great year. That's my birthday. Nearly 27 years after Ursula's death, Masaryk was arrested and flown to Augsburg, a city near Ecking. Ursula's parents, who were still living in the same house by the Amercy, had been notified a few days before that an arrest was imminent. They were also told that they could be part of the trial. Under the German legal system, relatives of the victims of certain serious crimes are allowed to formally join the prosecution as a nebenklag? Nebenklage? That's how it's pronounced or whatever. Or considered Mm co-plaintiffs. So this gives them the right to view evidence, request witnesses, and put questions to... So on that. Let me be as involved as I can. Absolutely. Ursula's parents did not want to be confronted again by the horrifying details of their daughter's death all these years later. Instead, it was agreed that the co-plaintiff would be their oldest son, Michael, who was by then in his 40s teaching religion and music at a girls' secondary school in Augsburg. 
So the trial opened in February 2009 before a packed court in Augsburg. Maserick, characterized in one newspaper as a bearded giant, sat in front of his wife, who was also on trial as an accessory to the crime. Reading from a 20-page statement, Maserick insisted that he was innocent. I know I was certainly not a good citizen, sometimes rude, and will see many attempts to portray me as a bad person, but I had nothing to do with this act. The prosecution had no difficulty finding evidence of his poor character. Maserick's daughter and stepson had a few good things to say about him as a father. He also had other scrapes with the law, including a fraud conviction in 2004 for falsifying documents. There was, a, it says, then there was the story about the dog. In 1974, this is fucked up. So if you're an animal lover, just brace yourself because this is fucked up. So in 1974, Maserick returned from the Oktoberfest beer festival to find that the family dog, a mixed breed named Susie, had overturned the rubbish bin in the kitchen. Maserick grabbed the dog and locked it in the basement freezer. The next day, his wife at the time, who would soon divorce him, rightly so, went to the freezer to get some meat only to discover Susie there frozen to death. Maserick later said he had punished the pet with exile to Siberia. I'm sorry. Yeah. So, what a nasty person. Not a great fucking guy by any reasonable standards. So the prosecution laid out the circumstantial evidence against Maserick. He had a motive as he needed the money and the means to secretly build a box because he owned a workshop. While Ursula was missing, he had been observed listening to police radio, and a piece of leather used in the box construction was cut from a belt owned by somebody with a large stomach, like Maserick. And in 2007, after the police searched and bugged his house, they listened in on a phone call between him and an old friend from Ecking where they discussed the statute of limitations for the Ursula Herman case. But the key elements of the prosecution's case were revoked confession by Fawfinger. He had dug the hole at Maserick's request and the tape recorder. They insisted that the confession was credible. As the old police file showed, Fawfinger's confession was accurate in several ways. He had described the burial site in detail, from the size of the forest glade and the dimensions of the hole to the soil conditions. The lead police investigator in 1982 was convinced Fawfinger deliberately misled him during the forest visit when he could not locate where the box was buried. Probably. Testifying in court all these years later, the same policeman described Fawfinger as an excellent actor and a practiced swindler. The tape recorder was the most important and controversial piece of evidence. When questioned by police in 2007, Maserick said that he had purchased it only a few weeks earlier at a flea market while on a short holiday with his wife. He could not prove who sold it to him, and nobody at the market could recall such a device being on sale that day. The state's expert, whose specialty was phonetics rather than audio, described how in the recordings of the ransom calls, you could hear a couple of clicking sounds, the buttons of a tape recorder being pressed during the recording of the jingle. When she pressed the buttons on the tape machine that she had, in her words, an aha moment. The sounds were identical. Mm. Other subtle characteristics of the recording also corresponded precisely to the specific machine in front of her. It was, she said, probable that the very same tape recorder found in Maserick's house was used in ransom calls. So I put a note here. Okay, I'm not a scientist, but am I the only one who thinks that this statement is really fucking stretching? I think it is. To say that it it sounds the same is not fucking scientific in any way you whatsoever. Use how many tape recorders to sound the same? Yeah, and not to mention, even if it was the same make or model, it's going to sound the same. Yeah. 
So, summing up, in March 2010, the senior prosecutor reminded the court that Ursula had been buried alive in a box, revealing that the cold-bloodedness and mercilessness of the perpetrator. The three judges and two jurors were convinced, finding Maserat guilty and sentencing him to life imprisonment. His wife was acquitted due to lack of evidence. In court, everyone seemed happy that Ursula's killer had finally been put away. Everyone, that is, except one person. At the start of the trial, few people in court had taken much notice of Michael Herman, the brother. The trial and his status as a co-plaintiff offered him an opportunity to close the case. While most co-plaintiffs in this scenario, like in German court, are passive observers in court, Michael decided to take his role far more seriously. He would not allow the family to be victims a second time. So before the trial started, to the surprise of his state-assigned lawyer, Michael had requested full access to case files, which ran into tens of thousands of scanned pages. The first few weeks of the trial, he got through 6,000 pages, locking himself in a study at home at night, unable to stop reading. His memories of Ursula were strong. He recalled how, despite her liveliness, she was also cautious and at times sensitive, growing upset when some of her schoolmates repeatedly misbehaved. But reading through the typewritten police reports, he realized that he had forgotten many of the details of the horrifying days in September 1981, even the fact that he had helped Ursula with her piano practice just a few hours before she was kidnapped. It was, he felt, like his brain had somehow blanked out that part of his life. To Michael, there was much to suggest Masaryk might have committed the crime, but there were also things that troubled him about how the prosecu- there were also things that troubled him about the prosecution's case. He could not understand why Fawfinger revoked his confession and was now being treated like it was plausible when it was dismissed all those years before. From the police files, it was clear that Fawfinger had a serious alcohol problem. So, as the courts heard, Fawfinger's confession was not even signed. The investigators wrote it down from memory weeks later. And and as with Masaryk, there was no DNA proof connecting Fawfinger to the crime. Because it feels like they're just pushing to get the answer they want. Exactly. So, before the trial, police exhumed Fawfinger's body, but there was no match to the genetic profiles that they had discovered among the evidence a few years before. So, now that's two people that do not match the DNA profile. Most concerning to Michael was the tape recorder. With his background in music, he knew a lot about acoustics and sound engineering and could not understand how a tape recorder could be definitively linked to those ransom calls all those years ago. Even if the reel-to-reel device had been used to record the jingle from the radio, as the prosecution alleged, the kidnappers would still have to transfer that recording to a second, more portable device since the calls to the Herman house were made from payphones. The acoustic environment in the booth and at the kidnapper's home would also have influenced what the police eventually heard and recorded at the other end of their phone lines. Yeah. So Michael's lawyer advised him not to make a big deal out of it. She said, you don't do this as a, whatever the actual word is, like as a co-plaintiff. But I did not think about habits. I just did what I thought was right, Michael told me, him being the reporter writing this article. Mm -hmm. He wrote a letter to the court calling the sound expert's report about the tape recorder incomplete or one-sided. The judges were not happy, but by law they were obliged to read those letters out in court. It was a highly unusual and sensational intervention, a member of the prosecution's team, the victim's brother no less, acting in favor of the defense. When the verdict against Masaryk was announced, Michael made a statement at the courthouse. I am not convinced of his guilt, he said, but neither am I convinced of his innocence. Instead of the circle being closed, it had only opened further. Six months after the trial, in late 2010, Michael began to notice the strange high-frequency noise in his left ear. At night, the hissing would wake him up and preventing, prevent him from falling back asleep. 
Even worse, it often tormented him during the day, especially when he was trying to teach his music. He had never experienced tinnitus before, but thought it might be related to the stress of the trial. The court-appointed psychologist on hand to assist relatives of victim of crime victims examined him and agreed that the stress of the court case was indeed likely the cause. So this ringing in his ears was being caused by distress, which is something Jeez. that can induce tinnitus. So during the trial, Mazurk had sent Michael a letter, not to thank him for questioning the tape recorder evidence, but to suggest that they were somehow on the same side. From prison, Mazurk kept writing and even sent a Christmas card. In 2013, Michael finally replied, I was surprised to receive a letter from you because it is certainly clear to you that despite all the doubts I have about your guilt, I have considerable reservations about your person, he wrote. If you are not the culprit, I wish for more new insights that you can be rehabilitated. If you are the culprit, go to hell. By, yeah, seriously. By then, Michael was increasingly skeptical that Masaryk was guilty. He felt he owed it to his parents, to himself, and even to the German public to pursue the truth. What drives me is ethics, doing what is morally right, he told me. It was just wrong for the case to end like it did. So this is where Michael does the most fucking genius thing ever. So he comes up with a plan. In 2013, he filed a civil claim seeking 20,000 Dutchmarks, I think, which is $23,755 in damages from Masaryk for causing his tinnitus. It was yeah. a legal ruse since Masaryk would defend the case on the basis that he was wrongfully convicted, so he could not be considered responsible, the court would have to reconsider the facts of the criminal trial before coming to a conclusion. Mm. It would be an opportunity, Michael believed, to get nearer to the truth. The judges knew what That's was... Genius. It's fucking That's genius, so isn't it? So he says the judges knew what was going on and they were pissed off. Um, this is what Joachim Feller, who was Michael's lawyer since 2012, told this reporter of the article. Um, they tried several times to stop it going forward. The court insisted that an independent psych psychiatrist examine Michael and to rule on whether his tinnitus was caused by the trial. After the psychiatrist confirmed that it was, the case finally went ahead in 2016. This case dragged on for more than two years. Jeez. Few people understood why Michael was pursuing the case. A local journalist was sorry. A local journalist who covered the criminal and civil cases told me his newsroom colleagues often asked him why Herman could not just let it go. I myself am still trying to work out why Michael Herman is acting like this. The journalist said he is quiet and calm, but still he looks into the files. There's a little obsession. So towards the end of the civil case. Michael gains another ally. In London, a German academic named Barbara Zipser read an article online about his efforts to get the truth. Zipser was a child in Germany when Ursula was kidnapped and recalled the horror that she felt then. In terms of its impact, the German equivalent of the Madeleine McCann case, Zipser told me when we met this year, I thought, whoever did this, I want that person in jail. Since Zipser's specialty is linguist profiling at Royal Holloway, University of London, she uses modern profiling techniques to identify authors of ancient Greek medical texts. She decided to compare the ransom note sent by the kidnappers to samples of Masaryk's writing, which Hader had posted on the internet. Zipser analyzed the words used in the ransom note and the writing style. Whoever composed the ransom notes was well-educated, she said, a native speaker pretending to be a foreigner by writing in broken German. I am sure it was not Masaryk, Zipser told me. Her opinion only hardened after she went to meet Michael in Germany and spent many hours going through the case files with him. I know this is an incredible story, but I've seen the evidence, and Michael has done very good investigative work. I support him and his findings. 
So in August of 2018, the civil case finally concluded and the court ordered Masaryk to pay Michael 7,000, I want to say it's Dutch marks, for causing his tinnitus. It was a victory that to Michael represented a loss. Since to arrive at that decision, the judges first needed to agree with the criminal court that Masaryk, together with an unidentified accomplice, was indeed the man who killed Ursula. In an open letter to the Bavarian state and the media, Michael wrote, My sister's fate has stayed with me for 37 years, and to this day, it is still unclear who actually is responsible for her death. (sighs) So from his prison cell in Germany's far north, Masaryk is still trying to unclear his name. After I wrote to him this year, he replied saying that he hired a private investigator to track down the man who he says sold him the tape recorder in 2007. I am just angry, and I am awaiting the 11th anniversary of my time in jail, he wrote. On a mild Sunday morning in April, I met Michael in Augsburg. As he had been most days in court, he was dressed casually in trainers, blue jeans, and a black jacket. Despite his legal setbacks and the tinnitus that continues to bother him, he came across calm and warm and possesses a dry sense of humor. Michael knows the case material so well, he has put in far more hours of research than any of the lawyers for the defense or prosecution, that when he speaks, it is with the precision and detachment of a special investigator rather than a relative. After parking the car beside the road between Ecking and Schondorf, he noted it was probably where the kidnappers had parked when bringing the box to the forest. An SUV track led into the woods. We need to walk 141 meters, Michael said and then looked 20 meters to the left to locate the spot where Ursula was buried. We don't know if she was sedated or carried off or if she was forced to walk there, he said, but we know she was taken on paths specially cut through the forest. After lunch at a restaurant beside the lake where sailboats bobbed in the distance, we walked along the road toward the forest, the route Ursula took on her way to the gym class nearly 40 years ago. The spruce trees are much taller than they were then, and the undergrowth less thick, but the path is the same, three meters wide, compact gravel. Cyclists on electric bikes sped by. After a few minutes, as we neared a small jetty leading to the wooden hut used by bathers, Michael stopped on the path. This is where Ursula was when kidnapped, he said. It's where her bike was found. It's where the bell wire ended. The bell wire is 140 meter long coil of insulated copper wire that kidnappers used as part of a warning system. Though the police had noticed the wire while searching for Ursula, they only learned of its significance more than a year later when investigators visited the private boarding school in Schondorf to talk to the pupils about the case. Two students came forward, saying that seven or eight months after the kidnapping, when chasing an owl through the forest, they had found the bell wire strung through the trees next to the lakeside paths. The boys then did a very strange thing. They took the wire down, measured it on the school athletics track, and kept it in their dormitory in a locked box until police visit. What in the world? On examining the wire, the investigators realized it must have been used during Ursula's abduction. While one of the kidnappers waited for the victim, the other presumably served as a lookout further along the path with their finger on a button that would light up a bulb or a sound, a buzzer, on the other end of the wire. Michael believes that the wire is one of the key pieces of evidence that could help identify the real kidnappers. Besides hunters, joggers, and cyclists, the boarding school pupils also knew the forest very well. Yet it appears that none of them were fingerprinted at the time of the investigation. Mm. Michael also notes that in a comic found inside the box, one of the main characters drives a Fiat 600. This is the same car that was mentioned in the ransom note, which was very rare in Germany at the time, suggesting that the kidnappers may have read the comic. Late last year, in an effort to have the case reopened, Michael submitted a dossier of all his new evidence and theories to the state prosecutor's office in Augsburg. In April, when I interviewed... Matthias Nikolai, a spokesman for the public prosecutor, 
He acknowledged that many people still had questions about the verdict in the criminal trial, but insisted the judges had arrived at the correct decision in 2010 and that it was final and absolute. In August, this became official when the prosecutor's office announced it would not reopen the case. Through his lawyer, Michael told the local press that he would be making no more public statements about the case nor giving interviews, which the media interpreted as him finally giving up. When I emailed him recently, he said this was not true. I didn't say that I'm not going to take it any further, he wrote. On September 15, a few days after I received that message, it was the 38th anniversary of Ursula's kidnapping and death. As they had done for the last few years, Michael, along with his two siblings and his mother, traveled to the graveyard in Ecking where Ursula is buried. Just four of them. No partners. There they remembered the little girl who left her cousin's house on her red bike on a summer's evening and never came home. Isn't that... That's a good one. Isn't that so good? Do you see why I fucking had to read the article? Yeah. Like, it's just so well written, and it's such a good case. That and was so good. I would have 100% left out details that were so incredibly important, like the tinnitus. Yeah. I almost, because I went through the article, and this isn't the full article. This is most of it, and there are parts that I paraphrase, and I changed the wording to understand, you know, for people in the United States and things like that. But, like... It's just so incredibly well written. And I even went through the article and highlighted everything that I needed to read. And I almost left out the part about the tinnitus. But the tinnitus is just as important. Because it sounds silly. Like, what does it matter? He got tinnitus. Like, yeah. But then he uses that in such a creative fucking way. He's such an interesting person. Most people wouldn't behave like that, I don't feel like. I don't think so either. I just, just stretch for the answer. Like, Absolutely. Most people, I feel like, would just jump on that and, like, take Ugh. the answer they were given and just run move with it. On. Yeah. He, like, legitimately refused. Isn't that just... <sighs> that was a lot, but in, like, the best way. Yeah. That's kind of how I feel. Like, I really, like, obviously we don't ever want... To, we don't try to to take things exactly as they're written you know what I mean like I'm always trying to paraphrase and add my own spin and put my own creative writing in it yeah. but I read this article start to finish and was like it it has to just I be just this I just like it so much it's, it's just, just so, so good. good yeah so hopefully I know there's not any real information other than this article on the case that I can find really? so if anyone's able to find additional information or additional articles or god if we have anybody that speaks German that can can provide insight on some of these things that are in the other articles that I'm not currently able to read. Like, I would love to know more about this case. Because it's just... There needs to be a movie or something yeah, about no, this. Let's make a movie. God, a can we? Can we? Because I can't... Imagine being this little fucking girl. Like, in a weird, sick way, I hope that she was drugged beforehand right. and that she was just asleep and that the scariest part was strange people talking to her and then she was asleep and she just didn't wake up. Like, yeah. Because, for fuck's sake, being buried alive in a fuck... Literally buried alive. It's disgusting. It's terrifying. Yeah. It's like my fucking... I just can't get over the brother. I can't either. What a fucking hero. Like Honestly, like he deserves a movie. Like, to be an unbiased like participant, you know? To be... Being something you're so close to. Yeah. To be able to separate yourself from it and say, I don't care what is said, I'm gonna find the real answer here. Jesus. Isn't that fucking crazy? Stronger than I'll ever be. Seriously. Like, legit same. Ugh. Alright. That's well, the case. The kidnapping of Ursula Herman. Mine is not even 
a little bit as close to as well written as yours was. Oh my god, but I'm literally reading from <laughs> something that was not mine. So um, so my case is the case of Phoebe Hanschuk, and maybe I'm saying that wrong, but that's how I'm. That's how I read it. I stand by that. Yeah, it's good. And this is just one of the ones that it just confuses me to the point where I just can't not think about it. Yeah. Like, it's one of the ones that, like, just pops into your brain. Like, randomly throughout the day. How? Like, how did that happen? And how is this resolved in the way that it's resolved? I vaguely remember this case, and it reminds me a little bit of the, I want to say it's Eliza Lamb, where she's found in the video Yes. In the hotel. It's exactly like that in the sense of it's so fucking weird. But there's no... There's no answers. Answers. And I mean, even, there's an answer, but yeah, there's not an answer. But they're not good, and yeah. I don't accept them. They're not good enough for me to feel satisfied. Exactly. With the ending there. 100%. Um, so, Phoebe, she was a young 24-year-old. Mm-hmm. She was living in Melbourne. God, so our age. Yeah, so it was like just us. Like, she was just... Um, you can kind of describe her... As maybe going through it, I guess. Yeah. Um. She was. She, I mean, she was living in a really nice apartment, mm-hmm. and it, I. I don't know if you saw pictures of her apartment. I have it. We'll post them on our but Instagram it's like, though. So pretty. Is like it, it just. It's just. Is tall, it like tall, tall, uh, big building, and there's not really many other tall buildings near it, so it was just like it kind of sticks out, and it's like it looks fancy, like it looks Does like it? I don't belong there, you know. Ah. Uh. And she lives there with her boyfriend, mm-hmm. and his name is Anthony. Okay. Hempel. 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 Oh. With a P. With a P. Yeah. And from what I've gathered from, like, all the different tellings I've heard of the story and articles I've read, is their relationship wasn't necessarily good. Yeah. So I think he's a bit older than she is, and she is, like, still just kind of young and wants to party and have fun drink and which i don't girl i don't blame you for a second And maybe he's not the most fond of that or the people that she associates with yeah um but also also fuck you he's not the best boyfriend either i I don't know this is me just kind of filling in some of the gaps no i don't blame you my own story well when i hear that i'm kind of like okay all i can think is for real like fuck you dude but that's what you get for like being with a younger person who maybe isn't ready to be yeah and how do you blame somebody for that like yeah, whatever. But it is kind of different because even her mom, to like after the fact, yeah, has come out and said like she was depressed and alcohol had yeah. hold on her. I think and I remember that saying that like I remember an article or something saying that she struggled with mental illness. Yeah, which still is not something to be blamed for. No, and welcome to mo- a lot of people. Yeah, <laughs> welcome to your early twenties. Fucking seriously, <laughs> like. So that's kind of where she's at in life right now. Yeah. Um, and maybe she's, like, trying to deal with the issues of her relationship not being great. And maybe it's just a mixture of yeah. all these things. Yeah. Um, but on this night, so she had plans to go hang out with her dad. Uh-huh. But it, she never made it because she was found dead. What the fuck? And um, it's we're going to kind of go back. Yeah. So she was found dead. But we're going to go to the, the day before. Okay. So the day before, this part is just so weird to me. And this is kind of, I think, one of the main reasons that this case gets, uh, like, skewed into blaming yeah. her yeah. a bit. Which victim blaming, seriously, is like, 
like it's already bad enough like it yeah. just bugs me when people do that so the night before and i always get so skeptical skeptical about text messages being used in a case because you yeah. never know who actually sent it exactly like there's but, no real i feel like way to prove that she sent out the night before this mass text to like multiple family and friends and just like people she's close with. Yeah. And this just sounds so weird. And I'm just going to read it. Okay. So it says, hi, family. I am in bed and about to sleep. And when I wake, in all caps, I will transform into the most incredible human being you've ever seen. And then in parentheses, not. I will go to... <laughs> Does he mean every day? Seriously. <laughs> I will go to hospital. I will go to hospital. It's safer there. And I hear the special tonight is tomato soup. Delicious. Nutritious. That's for real what it says? Yes. What the... I love you all very much, but not enough to send an individual text. Sorry about that, but time is sleep, and I must be on my way. Merrily, merrily, merrily. Life is but a dream. XL. What in the hell? That's what she sends to, like, multiple family members, and I'm sorry, but that is not indicating that... That's normal. Not at all. Even if it was her, which maybe it wasn't, something is not right, like, mentally. Like, mental break or something. And if it's not her, then it's somebody who sounds mentally ill. Yeah, somebody not right in the head wrote that is all. Yeah, either I feel like they're mentally ill or they're playing a part. And if they are playing a part, you have to be mentally ill to be playing a part like that. Yeah, seriously. Like, that's a fucked up part to play. Like, legit. You don't just write something like that and send it out to somebody's friends and family or or your own friend like friends and family and have that be a normal thing. It's like maybe it's a joke, but it's such a stupid no, fucking joke. Funny. <laughs> like not to be rude, but I don't know. So that went out the night before she passed and I don't know about you, but if I received that from anybody I was close with, I would be blowing up their phone. Yeah, I'd be concerned. If okay. Mm-hmm. I would be I honestly would probably send a welfare check to their home. Legit. Like, I like, would, if I sent you that shit, I hope to God you're like, this yeah, isn't... Yeah, i call the police immediately. Yeah, like, this isn't right. Like, I, I don't see how maybe she... Maybe they did, and I just don't know it. Yeah, true. But there, there's no record of anyone even, like, going over to check on her or... And I don't know if they were in the area Which or, really sucks, because not to blame anybody in the situation, but it feels like maybe something could have been prevented. The day before, or... I don't know. God, that sucks. So, I did, like, read a little bit that... Maybe the grandma had reached out to the boyfriend and said, hey, can you check on her? But that was really it. And even then, that's not enough. Not enough at all. That's not doing your due diligence as a loving family member, I don't feel like. And I'm not blaming her for anything. Like, that's not me. Yeah. I feel like you could just do a little bit more. Yeah. But that's just based off the the information that I have. Yeah. I wasn't there. Um, So the morning of the second, Mm -hmm. Anthony woke up. And he went to the gym at 8.15. Mm-hmm. And then, I guess they, since they lived in, like, the this nice uppity apartment complex, they had those key fobs that kind of, like... Yeah, like key cards or yeah, whatever. Yeah, like, tracks. Like, you can... Oh. Like, timestamps. It's kind of like you that... Uh, we talked about a case kind of similar that involved... Oh, yeah. oh, the Jonathan Luna. Yes. That had key cards, and they could pull up the data. So, this one... So, he came home at 6.05. And the time... Like, the exact minutes aren't really that important, but yeah. I just think... To get that timeline, it's kind of good to know. Yeah. Um, so he got home, and 
from my understanding, she had plans to go to dinner with her dad that night, so you'd think she'd be getting ready at this yeah. point to get ready to go. Uh-huh. Um, he got home, and he noticed her purse and her keys were still in the apartment, and there were candles lit, and her hair straightener was still plugged in. Interesting. So it's like she never really intended to leave for long. Yeah. If at all. You wouldn't really? leave the candles lit. You wouldn't leave your hair straightener on, like no. plugged well, in. Well, I do that all the time. Well, like an shouldn't. idiot. I know. <laughs> I do that literally. You really Mine has an auto off, though. Oh, okay. But still. Now I feel a little bit better. I still shouldn't. Yeah. So you would think that, like, she'd be home any minute. Yeah. Um, But he doesn't really, like, go out and look for her or, like, really do a whole lot to contact her. What's and, going on? Like, what the fuck? And it's like, especially if they are aware that she is depressed and, and has issues with yeah. drugs and alcohol. You'd like, think you'd be concerned. You'd be checking up, you know? Yeah. Um. Also, this part is fucking weird. Found in the apartment were several sticky notes with, like, nonsense scribbles all over them. Yeah. And Anthony wasn't even faced by this. He described it as the notes she writes when she's smashed. What the fuck? So it's like, he's almost like not surprised. Like, this is a kind of typical behavior. But then wouldn't she have sent something like that before? If this is typical behavior. Yeah, and maybe that's why they weren't so concerned. I don't know. Ugh. I don't know her the way they feel do. I don't... icky. Like, it doesn't... None of it feels right. It doesn't no. feel like... They're acting like things make sense that don't fucking yes. make sense. And there was also like some... Like what he, I guess, described as a shrine... I'm sorry, but I don't really know. It just was weird. It was, like, pictures of themselves and, like, other sticky notes on their bed. And that was just kind of it. And he, he wasn't even that phased by any of this. What what he does? What? He orders Chinese from one. Oh! He just orders Chinese food for himself. And doesn't do any other... What? Anything. He doesn't, like, go... Try to find her. He figures she can't go far because the keys are in the house. So it's not like she was going to leave the apartment complex. So you'd think after maybe like 20 minutes or so, you'd be like, okay, where the fuck is she? Yeah. No. Like, he what? just orders Chinese food. And this is where he starts to look suspicious to me. Absolutely. And so when the the delivery guy comes, I guess he like had to ride a bike there or something. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Story. That makes sense though. But he was delivering it and he said he had to like park kind of like stop his bike kind of far away and walk the rest away. So he was like, dude, it's already late, but, like, there's, like, a ruckus going on downstairs. There's, like, like, cops and ambulances and all that kind of stuff downstairs. Do you know what happened? And he's like, hmm, no, but I'm going to go check it out. Yeah. So he takes the elevator or whatever, goes down to the lobby and notices, like, crime scene what the is there. Fuck? And apparently they had found a dead woman mm -hmm. in, like, the garbage chute yeah like the compact room mm -hmm. they had because each of these apartments had a garbage chute yeah that you could just drop your garbage down and that sounds so nice yeah that sounds so <laughs> and it comes nice. down and it just compacts it into this area and, and then it's kind of like their like, little up. maintenance room as well uh-huh so i guess one of the employees of the the apartment complex was looking for a room or something and went to go open that door and it wouldn't open and it was just kind of like something was pressed up against the door yeah and it turns out, like, I think there was, like, a little window, you know? Yeah. In the in the door. She looked in, and there was a body. Oh, my God. That's, like, a nightmare. Yeah. And I guess at first, she even thought it might have been just a mannequin. Yeah. But looked it's again. Not and it was And she was sitting in, like, a pool of blood. 
everybody says this on every fucking podcast ever, literally every true crime podcast, but seriously, it's not a fucking mannequin. No, it's not. It's never. It's a person. Like, literally, crime junkie, my favorite murder. Everybody says this, but it's, it's For anybody who's never heard these podcasts, it's never a mannequin. Jesus. Um, so, they just, they find this woman, she's been, like, injured. Yeah. Severely. And she's dead. Yeah. And I still think that part's weird, and maybe it's not. Yeah. But Antony says to one of the officers there, he goes, oh no, my girlfriend is missing, could it be her? What the fuck? Like, why would you automatically assume the dead person is the girlfriend you weren't that worried about? You know yeah, I mean? that's suspicious like, as hell. Like, if you weren't worried enough that you, you called could anyone, order Chinese, and you could just hang out around the house waiting for her to come back, you wouldn't think she's missing, missing. Yeah. To the point where she could be the dead person. Like, it, it can't be both. You can't yeah. simultaneously not be worried about her, but then as soon as something spooky happens, you're like, what if that's her? Because you weren't fucking worried in the first place. Yeah. Unless you know something. Yeah. So. Jesus. That's kind of where I get, like, weird vibes from him. But there's nothing really else to say that he was involved. Yeah. I don't know. So then he kind of talks to them, and he gives them descriptions of her tattoos and, like, what she looks like. And they verify, like, yeah, that's that's yeah. Phoebe. And this is where it just kind of gets icky. Yeah. So it turns out that Phoebe had gone down the garbage chute from their apartment down 12 stories, down the chute, hit the bottom, and hit the blade for the contractor, <gasps> and it cut her ankle so severely that she was bleeding out, like, bleeding to death. Yeah. And she, unfortunately, died crawling to the door, <gasps> trying to get out, but couldn't get the door open, because she couldn't she just get the so much energy. blood loss. Yeah. Oh so she went down 12 God. stories, survived, struggled to find her way out, and just died on the floor. Oh my fucking God. Yeah. That is a literal nightmare. Nightmare stuff right there. Oh, that makes me want to throw up. <sighs> so they do a toxicology on her, and she did have a blood alcohol reading of 0.16%. Point. 0.16. That's high, but it's, it's not crazy. Like, I've heard of cases where people being 0. 0.3. Yeah, right. So that's to me... Especially if she's a drinker. Yeah. That's not... True. I feel like 0. 0.2 to 0. 0.3, I'm not a fucking scientist, but in the things that I've read, I feel like between 0. 0.2 and 0. 0.3 is pretty belligerent. So yeah. to me, like, 0. 0.16 is, like, halfway to that. Right. Which is, like... However... Okay. They also found high levels. I didn't say like what they were, but high levels of, like... Um, sleeping pills. Oh, shit. So you can't mix that. You no, can't. God, no. So who knows? Maybe maybe she did take those sleeping pills and drank and didn't know what she was doing and put herself in the garbage chute. Maybe she was like... <laughs> but maybe. even that, and they're, they're trying to say it was like a suicide. Oh, what? The I would be more convinced of an accident. Like she, like she was putting something in the trash. Okay, but... You say that, right? Okay. Oh, no. And then you get more information about what the chute is actually like. Oh, okay. It's not... You don't accidentally fall down the chute. You don't? Okay. It's like... I don't know how to describe this in great We'll post words. pictures. So there is um, a lever you pull down. So mm -hmm. it's almost like a 90 degree angle looking 
oh, door. Yeah, so, I've seen and those. And it like shuts automatically. Yeah, and they're heavy to and pull. They're, yeah, they're so very not, heavy. So that people don't go down them, like kids and stuff don't get... And you know, they're typically sitting up pretty high, high yeah. and it's kind of like the Tamla Horsford case. Where it doesn't really make sense. Well, it's like the center of gravity yes. of like, if you were to tip over, but it's higher than your waist, your okay. gravity's not going to mess up. she went feet first. What? Feet first. What the hell? Yeah, and they're saying that she opened it up, climbed in, and then dropped to her death. What the hell? Accidentally, and I'm sorry, but if you're on sleeping pills and alcohol to mixed, I don't think that you would have the strength the, um, or the like ability to be coordinated. Like the yeah, like you wouldn't have like the spatial like, like recognition. You'd probably just fall over trying to get up there. And in they're my, typically if that, sitting pretty high too. Like yeah, and if you're that messed up, that you're gonna put yourself in a garbage chute. How would you hold it down? Yeah, how would you keep it open, get your body in it? And it's not like there was like a a step stool or anything like that nearby for her to climb up and in and then jump or... Mm -mm. (sighs) So Phoebe's grandfather, in this case, so he is actually a retired police officer and he did not accept... Absolutely not. The suicide. The suicide accident... Bullshit. The accident ruling. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to read some of this from this article from news.com.au. So it says, Phoebe's grandfather and retired police officer, Lorne Campbell, was suspicious and conducted his own investigation, one which was more thorough than the investigation of police, according to the investigator. Yeah. Um, no, the, the reporter on this. Yeah. He made the results available to the coroner and police... He did a lot of investigating and the police sh- that the police should have done, including whether Phoebe could enter the chute properly and have fallen down. Mr. Campbell contacted the chute manufacturer, who made up a fake section of the chute, and he, he went out and he got two of Phoebe's friends to see if that's even possible. Yeah, could they even do, do it? it? So they said um, to see if they could climb into it and fall feet first, just as Phoebe would have done. One was able to, and the other's shoulders were too broad. It was obvious the arms had to be behind the head when she went through this. The hole was only 22 centimeters wide, so her arms trailed behind her. Um, The coroner's findings suggested that Phoebe tried to break her fall by using her hands to slow her down, um, but she didn't have dirty hands and the chute was filthy. Oh, what the hell? So they're saying her hands were, like, down to catch herself. But he's saying that you can't even fit unless they're above your head. Oh, so you'd have to go in like a pencil dive, like and like like, but feet first pencil, and then like shoulders as back as you can. Yeah, like this twenty two centimeters is not big. That's tiny. It's, he says she wouldn't have been able to get her hands down to her sides, and she was traveling about eighty five kilometers an hour. Holy shit! Down the thirty meter chute. And she would not have had time to even think about using her hands. It would have been so fucking fast. Yeah. And they're they're claiming that she tried to use her hands to break her fall. But no. I feel like they just pulled that out of their ass. They did. Oh my god. Because her she would have had to have her hands above her head. To even I feel get like in. that would be even harder to do to like accidentally contort your body into a, a shape like that. Yeah, and no. No. I don't know. And Despite it later being a believed suicide, when the police arrived, wow, 
When the police arrived on the scene, they roped off her body. This part just makes me sad. It makes me want to cry. Okay. They roped off her body and created a crime scene, meaning ambulance officers could not go near her when they had arrived. Um, this was distressing for paramedics because she may not have even been dead at the time. What the fuck? An ambulance officer told Bowles that she couldn't even check to see if Phoebe was warm or cold. What? Um, and then it just goes on to say, like, Phoebe had a blood alcohol of 0.16, three times the legal driving limit at the time of her death, and they believe that she would have struggled to climb into the chute. And she had still not a sleeping pill in her system as well, but they did not believe that that would have made her act erratically. That combination would make you fucking tired. And then when I just, drink, like, loopy and maybe say some stupid shit and, like, slow your words, I feel like maybe, but... Well, this is the thing, is I take sleeping pills, and I have to take them every single night, mm-hmm. and there are also times that I want to have fun with my friends and go out and have a few drinks, but I cannot not take my sleeping pills. Mm-hmm. And so I have to be very careful to balance the two. Right. And their interaction, it just makes you more tired yeah. for the pills I take. It's not even like a loopy, sluggish, it's Yeah, and it I mean, just, it depends probably on the one you are taking and, like, the but dosage, I, but... It would never make you want to do some fucking acrobatic fucking bullshit to right. get... You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like the whole purpose of a sleeping pill is to sedate, and alcohol is also a, sed- a sedative. Yeah. So I feel like, if anything, it would make her want to go to bed. Yeah. Not... Send wacky text messages and fucking Well, call. I don't know. My grandma has taken Ambien before. Oh, Granted, God, she yeah. didn't mix it with drinking. Uh, Which is a, a nightmare to but do. She took Ambien and ordered a lot of things online. Really? A lot. Yeah, I guess maybe that's true. I just can't. I, I feel don't know. like I can't My see. brain wants to paint it out that she just would have been too sloppy, even if it affected her that severely. Yeah. To not be thinking that correct, like that incorrectly, like. She would have been not capable of doing that to herself. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, definitely so, not. In here, I was going to say, so, Celia, what do you think? But it definitely <laughs> thinks that you don't... Sounds like you don't think it's a suicide. No, 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 no. So, even if you did believe that it was an accident or yeah. a suicide, I feel like most people lean towards it was an accident rather than a suicide. Like, she just didn't know what she was doing, and it was yeah. just... Oops. Yeah. Which is still stupid, but... What a fucking absurd way to kill yourself. If yeah. she had sleeping or pills an and alcohol and she wanted to fucking kill herself, then she would just take all of her sleeping but pills and drink a bottle of vodka and go to bed. Yeah. Like, you wouldn't, I mean, who knows? I but like, and the investigation kind of sucks because like, there were no usable prints on the shoe and I think they might have even found like a tiny, tiny blood spatter somewhere in the home, uh, but they couldn't even like link it to anything really. It just was everything was unusable. Nothing was. Yeah, and the garbage probably tainted. Even try want to because they didn't even check to see if she was warm or cold when they got there. They just had assumed. I would sue the fuck out of Sam. But so even if you had believed this was some sort of freak accident, suicide, what have you, Mm -hmm. what if I told you eight years later, another twenty-five-year-old girl was found dead. And her um, her cause of death is makes no more more sense than Phoebe's did. Really, and her name is Bailey Schneider, and she was living with her parents at the time, and she kind of had a similar like social life and did the same sort of things that Phoebe did. Like she was 
a drinker, she partied, like she just kind of was young still, like she's only 25, that's not that old. So she also had issues with depression and uh, she was dating someone and their relationship wasn't maybe the best and they were arguing at the time and her boyfriend was Anthony Hempel. What the fuck? The same boyfriend? The same guy. And she was found after her parents had left um, for wherever they were going that day. They came home and she was like slumped against the counters, like the the cabinets. I'm assuming in the kitchen floor. There wasn't a lot of detail on this one, not nearly as much as the last one. And she had like this gold wire around her neck as if she had been hung. What? But it wasn't connected to anything and there's nowhere in her kitchen that she could have hung from. What the But it is still ruled a suicide, and he never was charged with anything. So he has two fucking girlfriends that are ruled Died suicide in wacky-ass fucking ways. They just can't be proven. It almost sounds like he's doing that deliberately to make them as weird as possible so that it, mm-hmm. there's no real logic. Make them look crazy. Yeah. And she also had a high alcohol level in her system, and... It's just weird. Like, it it feels like he maybe knew that this worked the first time. Yes. And knew how to do it a different way, but knew how to make it look like it was her fault. When did this happen? Um, the first one was 2010, and the last, the Bailey one was 2018. Oh my god. I wonder if in, like, five more years we're gonna hear that another one of another his one. fucking girlfriends. Yeah. Or maybe he'll be sneakier this time. Which is really fucked up. Because I feel like there's no way for it to not happen again. No, because it sounds like if it is something that he has to... If it has to do with him, and he's the common link here, which he is, then he's going to do it again, and he's probably getting off on the fact that it's working. Yeah. Oh, which is like teaching him that it's okay, because he can get away with it. And maybe, 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 maybe... There is some weird coincidence that he just happened to be in the wrong place, wrong time. He must be the most unlucky fucking dude. fucking doubt it. Yeah. And I feel fairly confident in saying fuck that guy. Fuck that guy for sure. Even if he didn't commit either of those. He still... He still... I feel like somebody was a little bit more responsible for at least Phoebe's. Oh, yeah. Somebody should have done something more, and he was living with her. And, like, maybe that's just me stretching that too far, but I feel I like don't think so. something else could have been done. Look for her. Do a search. Go check the lobby. See if she's downstairs. So yeah, if he her. had done then, anything yeah. sooner, she could have been found alive. Yeah. Which, to me, makes him fucking negligent. As a significant other, whether it's a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a wife, a husband, it, it's... And I'm sorry, this might be fucking stretching it, but... It, that person is a little bit your responsibility too. Like their whereabouts, their care, their care and their well being should matter to you. Yeah, you know, like if and maybe I don't know the full story, and this is just me assuming because I my brain pictures him as the bad guy because of all the things I've heard. But that's that's just all I can come up with, and I can't convince my brain any other way. I mean, I can't. I don't. Maybe this is ignorant, but I don't want to. I feel like that. That's what makes sense. Mm-hmm. He And that's usually the right answer. He's the common denominator in both yeah. of those situations. And both of them are fucking weird. Mm-hmm. Ugh. And that's the one that I just think about sometimes. And the fact that he's never been convicted of anything. And he's just walking around free. He probably has a new girlfriend. Yeah. What's the fucking... And how do you convince them? Oh, no, no. I just am super unlucky. Well, he probably... Don't Google me. <laughs> he probably finds girls that 
just are unsuspecting maybe you know what I mean like they yeah. maybe they like, don't even know who he is well it also sounds like he kind of goes for people who are in a vulnerable state oh absolutely mentally ill probably susceptible yeah like manipulable he sounds like a fucking predator and yeah. I know that we're stretching because he hasn't even been charged or convicted and of also, anything but like, this is so weird but like he was described in the article talking about Bailey yeah he was described as a socialite like oh so he cares about being popular and yeah. having friends and he wants to go out and do things mm-hmm. maybe his fucking girlfriend's being mentally ill or whatever and he was they're dragging him down at the time that he was dating Bailey and she was 25 which like not such shit oh on wait that, what the fuck but he's, he's a lot older oh my so it's like he's almost more predatory because he's going for these young unstable girls it's not like he's just this, going for girls like hot girls his age or whatever so I wonder if he makes a lot of money and that's why she was in that apartment yeah no it was his apartment his nice ass apartment oh my god yeah ew so that's my case and it just makes me feel a little icky inside that makes me feel icky oh both of these cases were super i mean they're all icky but some of them just sit in a worse way especially because both of ours are pretty much unsolved you know they're open pending an an answer but it's a we hate them yeah they're bullshit answers I can't imagine being the families in both of these scenarios, yeah. you know? Like, even in mine, like, they do have an answer, but it's not a good one. Yeah. You know? And, like, how is, in mine, the answer is, oh, it's just, like, a, a tragedy, an awful mistake? No. Absolutely not. I could never allow that. I would be at the courthouse or in the prosecutor's office leaving fucking notes. I'd be putting sticky notes. I'd get arrested <laughs> for stalking. Harassment. Because I would be, like... Yeah. If you do not fucking do something about this, I swear to God, I'll never stop. You'll have to put me in prison because I will never stop. Because it would just be unacceptable. Yeah, that's like how her grandpa was acting. Exactly. Gratefully so. Like, go that guy. And go the brother, Michael. Oh, yes. Thank God for quality fucking family members. Yeah. Because those are the only people that are going to have your back, you know? Family and friends and people who refuse. And sometimes even, like, Weirdly enough, like, armchair detectives and shit that are, like, absolutely not. That's kind of why I like doing this, because we do, like, a good share of, like, unsolved cases and stuff. And I know we don't have that many people listening, but, I mean, the goal, I feel like, is for attention to be brought to some of these things. And I feel like there are going to be instances where even normal people, like, citizens unrelated to the case, have to say, like, this is unfucking acceptable Yeah. I am not... I do not feel content right. about this, you know? Because that's what gets shit moving. Yeah. yeah. It's like the illicit attorney case. Oh my god, I gotta do illicit attorney. We have to. Let's I think we should do here. like illicit attorney as one case. Like one case, oh, yeah. full episode. It can't be a mm-hmm. two stories in that episode. It's just too good. It's too good. We have too a few much. cases. Maybe we should plan something like that soon of like mm-hmm. whole episode cases. The bigs, you know? Heavy hitters. Like, um, uh, Lacey Peterson. Ed Kemper. Ed Kemper. We could even do, like, other serial killers, like the, what's his name? The Green River? Oh, yeah. That's a fucking crazy case. And, like, oh, like, the disappearances on Long Island that ended up being multiple yeah. serial killers. God, that one was fucked up, too. That smiley face. Oh, God. I don't, don't even get me started on that one. That I know, seriously. so annoyed. I don't, yeah. <laughs> That's like a whole fucking conversation in itself. That, it's like a debate. We could just sit and like... Oh, yeah. Easily. Yeah. I want to do something soon that I think would be fun for Patreon, maybe, or maybe even our actual podcast, 
is doing like having people come on and share opinions and Ooh, theories. Like maybe we do like our episode, or maybe it could be our mini episodes mm-hmm. where like we just do like Let's a shorter talk case. About it. <laughs> yes, wouldn't that be fun? Yeah, to get so. other people's opinions or. Maybe. Sometimes I'm sick of my own opinions. <laughs> God, same. And I have so I many. I need somebody else. Like, can I just shut up for a bit sometimes? <laughs> uh, probably not. But no, probably. And then we have a podcast. That's why we record ourselves to get something out of. At least it feels like fulfilling, like satisfying. Yeah. Hearing myself talk is like something. <laughs> it's not just going into the nothingness. For yeah. <laughs> in in one ear out the other for the poor suckers that have to listen. <laughs> Oh, that's good. Yeah. Self-depreciation is fun. <laughs> so, yeah. Hell yeah, you guys. Thank you guys for listening to us. Um, If you have any thoughts or opinions on these cases, because we have many thoughts and opinions yes. on these cases, you can always comment on our Facebook. It's Between the Crimes. You can go on our Twitter. It's at BT Crimes. We've got an Instagram. And then our Patreon is www.patreon.com slash Between the Crimes. So if you guys like it, you can share our Facebook posts. You can comment. You guys can... Um, you can chat with us on Patreon. We've got a lot of options, and we really like hearing from people. And we really, it's, my day. it's so nice. Like when people comment and they share like their opinions or things that they thought were interesting. It's so fucking refreshing mm-hmm. to like be able to experience like a real conversation about things that we care about. Yes, with other people that care equally as much. You know, that's why I've been enjoying Twitter so much. So if you guys like Twitter and you like joining in and that stuff, you should check out our Twitter because we have good conversations with our followers and it's been really fun. Um, but yeah, hell yeah. Other than that. Word. Anything to add? No. I said, I said my stuff. Hell yeah. I'm good. All right, you guys. Thank you. And join us next week for our episode 14. Ooh. Bye. Bye.